Well, man, what a great morning already to celebrate God's goodness. I'm sure as some of us come in this room today, we can probably look back at times in our life where maybe you uh, were defeated. So it's really a pleasant blessing to be able to come to a place like today and celebrate how God has been so good. God is merciful and God is powerful and transforms lives. I think back at times where discouragement set in. I think of times where defeat has happened. Thinking about places where maybe overwhelmed by sin and making bad decisions that leave a mark. I think in my own life of the times when God introduced someone into my life or brought the right person at the right time to speak into my life when I really needed it most. And what did they say that would get my feet moving again if I had kind of stalled out in my walk with the Lord or just in life? Well, every time they would come with a message that would be a message of hope to restore the fact that God's not done with me. They would come with a message of the truth of God's word to help me see the pattern of God and the consistency of God so I can hold fast to the fact that my Father in heaven, He knows me, He loves me, and He has His best interest for me. And that everything that's going on around me, He is well aware of, and not only that, He is with me. Sometimes you may get that word through a relative, through a coach, through a teacher, through a preacher. I don't know where the word comes. Always for you. But today, if, I hope that the Word of God will speak to your heart if you find yourself stalled, maybe a little discouraged, overcome, or having even been defeated. That's really the circumstance we find ourselves in the text today because let me give you a little backdrop to where we are. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, I want to catch everybody up to speed because we're studying through a book of the Bible, which is a, it's a moment of history, so you can see what's happening in the lives of people. So we're dealing with an entire nation of people, the nation of Israel, who God's used them uniquely and had a special plan for this nation. And this nation went against God and, and gave themselves over to idolatry, and so God brought in a, uh, an opposing army and a king who would then defeat them. And the nation of Israel was then taken into exile. They were deported out of Jerusalem and out of the area of Israel that we now know and taken to Iraq. It was by God's disciplined hand that this happened. God was not finished with them. God had plans for them. But God wanted to restore them in righteousness because their hearts had turned away from God and God wanted them to taste the bitterness of their foolishness of turning to false gods. So God allowed them to be taken to exile and God had set a time stamp for this. Because of their disobedience, there was a specific amount of time. Seventy years that nation would live in exile in Iraq. But God saw fit that he would have a decree written by a Gentile king that was not a Jewish man. But this king gave a written decree to send Israel back to their homeland to allow them to begin to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed when the opposing armies came into the city. That entire city of Jerusalem laid in waste. The walls were gone, the gates were burned, the temple destroyed, and all of the vessels that were designed for worship in this temple had been taken away. And now this king is giving the writ decree to send them all back to start rebuilding. Well, they get there and start laying the foundation and getting some things in order. And there was a, a celebration moment. But the people, some were celebrating because this was something incredible that they're finally back in the spot. And others were sorrowing because they remember the sins of old. 
and what got him in this place in the first place. And there was kind of a mixed emotion involved in this. But the opposing, uh, the opposition, I should say, came in to stop the building project. As, this, as these people come under the authority of the king to start building, you've got a regional area, kind of a regional king, that is now opposing what is happening, and they send back a letter to the big king to say, hey, these guys are building, and this is going to go bad for you if you don't stop this building project from happening. And so the project stopped. For 16 years, this project stopped. Well, what happened during this 16 years? Well, the people were discouraged. They thought, well, maybe we messed up in the timeliness of when God was sending us back. And, and maybe we, we misfired on the 70-year thing somewhere along the way, so it's just not the right time. But God sends them a prophet to get them moving again because they're sitting still, they're discouraged, and they're an idol. He sends the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, which are those two Old Testament prophets in your Bible. When Haggai shows up, he poses a question from the Lord, and he says, Basically, what time is it? Is it time for you to live in your nice sealed up homes, meaning paneled up houses, your wainscot houses where you've taken the paneling and the wood and all the things that were designed to be used by God's, for God's temple? Well, instead, well, I guess if we're not going to build the temple, we might as well build our own houses. And they took all of God's stuff and went and built their own homes. Is it time for you to live in your sealed houses while God's house lays in ruin? And he says, he preaches a message in Haggai chapter 1 that says, consider your ways. Consider the fact that God's hand of blessing has not been on you. Now you're surviving, you're just not thriving. You plant seed, but it doesn't come to a massive harvest. It just barely gets you by. It feels like you have money coming in and it's like draining out of your pockets with holes. You go to the vat to get, to get wine out of it, but there's barely enough to just survive. And everything was on survival level, but not thriving level. There was no blessing. Why? Disobedience. No faith. Not trusting God. And they had stalled out. So Haggai the prophet comes along. And now he has another message for them. They began building. After this first message of what time is it and consider your ways. It's like, alright, we're going to get back at it again. A month later... There's some discouragement. You've got a battle that's going on the outside, of course. You've got people opposing, but there's now a battle on the inside as well. Because the heart of this is still a struggle. And that's where we are in our text today. Haggai chapter 2 fits right in between uh, Ezra chapter 4 and 5. So we're taking a time out from Ezra to get our bearings straight with what does this prophet have to say. Haggai chapter 2 verse 1, he's going to give them a warning. And I'm going to call it this, beware how you compare. Now watch careful the words. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the, of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Now, understanding there's an older group of people that saw the temple that Solomon built that was incredible. The nations of the world came to see this amazing building, but also the wisdom of Solomon in the day. But the building was, in, uh, was a phenomenon. Well, now they've laid the foundation. It's the same square footage of building. 
But they're discouraged because in comparison to what it was, this just doesn't seem the same. And in this business of comparing, I would offer a warning for how we compare. Now, is comparing always bad? In the comparison they're making, they're making this statement that this seems like nothing. Compared to the old, this one is nothing. Now, wait a minute here. Is this not the same temple that God has now decreed to send you back to build? God supernaturally, by the hand of a Gentile king, sent you back with gold and silver and all the stuff to build it? Was this not the hand of God that made this even possible, that you're even here instead of in Iraq where you were before? But in comparison to what it was, nothing. Well, this idea of comparison is very critical, and I think it's a huge struggle for us in our daily walk. The Bible speaks of healthy comparisons and unhealthy comparisons. All comparisons are not bad, in other words. The healthy comparisons would be the fact that we are taught in Scripture to compare Scripture with Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 teaches us that. It's a very fundamental principle of Bible study. Compare the Scripture with the Scripture. Let God tell His story and define His terms. He does a really good job of it. We are also taught in Proverbs you compare and contrast people. You have the wise and the fool. You have the rich. You have the lazy. You have all of these things happening in the Proverbs, so there's a comparison contrast that happens. But where you see comparison becoming unhealthy and destructive and toxic is when it happens in our lives like what happened with Peter, where he compared himself to others and saw himself as more spiritual and that he is going to be the one who everyone else may defect, but not me, Lord. And so he was exalting self. Reminds me of Proverbs teaches that every man will proclaim his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Somebody that's just faithful, but doesn't have to tell everybody about it. You know, it was Elijah, after incredible miraculous things took place with him and the nation, he compared himself to his forefathers, and when he made that comparison, he considered himself as nothing. Matter of fact, he saw himself as a total failure of a prophet, he ran away as far as he could go, sat down under a tree, and begged God that he could die there. I'm done. Why? Comparing himself to others. Well, then you have Israel as a nation compared themselves to other nations because they all had earthly kings that would ride out to battle and all the, the pomp and circumstance. And what do we have? Well, we have an invisible God you cannot see who goes before us in battle, but you don't get to see him. And we want to be like everybody else and have a God who will ride out to battle or a, have a, a king that will ride out to battle like everyone else. And we know the downhill trajectory that went on. But in our own culture, we are taught to compare all the way, always. From the time we were small, we're, we are learning this. Whether it's in school or in home, we, we constantly do this. I remember in school, whenever... There'd be somebody in class and the teacher would tell us all to be quiet and there would always be somebody. Now, all of you look at, look at little Sarah. If you're Sarah, sorry, I'm just, I just had the first name that came to my head. Look at Sarah. She knows how to do this and she's got her head down and her thumbs up and everything's perfect. And so we're always comparing. I'm not like her. I probably was the loud kid. And I never measured up. In school, you're always, there's class ranks, so you always know where you stand. If there's 200 people in your class, you know exactly where you stand comparing yourself to everybody else. 
when you're in athletics, there's always a first team, there's second team, there's, there's the starters, there's the ones that come off the bench. You always know where you stand. You're comparing constantly. In a professional sense, we see our, our seniority, our experience, our rank, our promotions, why we got this, why we didn't get this in comparison to someone else. We constantly do it. In parenting, sometimes we'll use the phrase, why can't you just be like your brother? Comparing. Or we'll compare ourselves with others who are in, peer, in our peer groups recognizing, well, well, their baby can do this or their child can already do that. Why? They can crawl faster. They're already sitting up. They can walk sooner. They walk later and they eat solid foods and they do certain things and they're already talking and oh my goodness, this one can write a book. And we have all of these things in comparison to others and then we feel this inadequacy that takes place. You think about in a, in a personal sense, comparing our homes, our incomes, uh, where we go on vacation, our skill sets, our families. In a church, you can end up in this comparative mode of individually of who serves more, who goes on mission trips, who doesn't, who goes to camp, and who, who can quote the most Bible, who seems to be the most knowledgeable, who speaks the best, who, who doesn't. And it's all these comparison things. We endlessly do this. And today we have more platforms to do that on than we've ever had even in electronically. And we can compare ourselves to anyone in the world in a matter of a second. I, I'm studying a lot on the aspects of the brain and I enjoy the study. But one of the key factors that you observe in this is this world of comparison with young people especially and how destructive it is. Because comparison ultimately will lead places. It leads to self-righteousness like Peter. We will find ways to elevate ourselves. If you want to build the tallest building in the town, you have options. Either hire good contractors and build the building or tear everybody else's down. And then you'll still have the tallest. Self-righteousness can settle in with comparison. Covetousness, we see other people's things, we want what they have. Discouragement, I'll never measure up to them. Shame, we look at what could have been or should have been and it's not. Anxiety, because now we feel like we, we're never measuring up. We're, we're always the one coming up on the short end. I'm not as good as them. And fear. It's interesting in our text today that the word comparison and fear are linked together and it's not the only time in Scripture this happened. And if you watch in society today, doesn't comparison lead to fear? And you start linking it all to anxiety, which leads to depression oftentimes, which leads to a lot of other things. As the Master Yoda said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. I like the way he says that. But it's true. That's a good statement. Because it is a pathway. Comparison will lead you in a direction you don't want to go. But let's get the Bible text for this to make sure. Are, are we off base? No. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 teaches us this, that we do not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. The comparison game is not wise. 
unless you are comparing yourself against Scripture and seeing who you are in Christ, which is what our students learned last week answering the question, and that is, who am I? And when you measure your life against the, the text of Scripture, you'll find out who you are in the Lord and not what everybody else is telling you you need to be or ought to be. And boy, look how freeing that is. Comparing also to past thinking or all the what could have been. The Apostle Paul said this so well in Philippians 3. He said this, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, and if anything in you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Notice the mature mind. The mature mind doesn't go living in the past. It's going on a forward trajectory. It doesn't mean I can forget the past. That's not even realistic. We can't do mind sweep. But I don't have to live in it. And I don't need to try to rewrite it. If I could somehow make my past better, then it makes my present better. No, you can't rewrite your past either. This is your reality. And we pick up from right here and we move forward. And God is with you in this. He was with you over here. He is with you now. And He will continue to be with you. So going back and reliving the past will accomplish no good. Paul said, I have not perfected yet. But I know some things here. I'm not going to keep living in my past. Try putting yourself in his past. We think of him as this incredible missionary. He is and was. However, the life before he knew Christ is not so glorious. Though he was super well educated and probably well off. So from a world perspective, he had it going on. However, there's a dark side to Paul's life you don't want to miss. That he could easily go live in that past. When you remember the fact that Paul was the same guy as Saul of Tarsus who would go out and arrest Christians and execute them if necessary. Many of them. So now try to live in his past where he has gone to places and made widows and left children now without fathers because they were Christian people and he arrested them or executed them. And now he's going back to minister in those same places again. Now he's going in to share the gospel with these people. He is the witness of a transformed life. But try living in that past. Well, he can't. If I keep living in that past, I'll never go forward. And so what's the, what's the message here from Haggai the prophet to the people? In your eyes, you compare this building as nothing. But you don't see it from God's perspective of what God's doing. And each one of you today, if you are a Christ follower, you are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3 affirms that truth. If you are the temple, that means the spirit of the living God lives in you as a Christian. You are his house, his dwelling place. And so God is doing a miraculous and mighty work in your life. And so it's foolish to compare anything outside of Scripture because you'll find yourself justifying, exalting, discouraged, demised in this whole process, and usually it leads to fear because I just don't measure up. 
So what's Haggai's counsel? Verse 4, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. There it is. Now let's link some things together. Right now, Haggai the prophet comes along with the voice of the Lord that says this, Be strong. Three times he says it to Zerubbabel, to Jeshua, and to all the people. There's a pattern in Scripture throughout your Bible that does this. It was three times that God told Joshua, or excuse me, Moses told Joshua to be strong and of good courage. Why? Because Joshua was going to lead the entire nation of Israel into this land of promise that was promised hundreds of years ago. Moses is going to die off. Joshua will raise up as the new leader and he's going to guide them in. And it's going to take a lot of courage. Why? Because the forefathers had gone in and looked at all this land and said, yes, it's exactly what God said it would be. However, there's giants in the land. It's too big for us. We can't handle it. And Joshua says, but God is with us. And he's being reminded. Moses told Joshua three times, be strong and of good courage. It was God in Joshua chapter 1 spoke directly with Joshua and told him, be strong and of good courage. In fact, let's see this. I want you to see these on the screen because there's a pattern to the, the, what is being said. Joshua chapter 1, be strong and of good courage. For to this people you will divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong based on what? I swore, God said. I made a promise to your fathers, I'm going to fulfill it. So I can be strong in the promises of God. Second one, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Notice the connection of blessing with obedience. Be strong in what? Be strong in the Word. Be strong in obedience to the Word. When we obey God's Word, we see the the blessing of obedience. And like Israel has already experienced, when we walk in disobedience, we may be surviving, we're not thriving. Be strong in the promises, be strong in obedience, and be strong, what's the next one? Verse 9, have not I commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it was the affirmation of this promise that God said, I am with you. Can we not all affirm the same ones today? God says, I promised to you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the presence of God is not even up for discussion. No matter what you're suffering, your plight or circumstance, I can tell you God is present with you. And He will either deliver you from that struggle or walk with you through it. But God is with you. God made a promise. This is the promise that He's promised us, even eternal life. And He will fulfill it. For God to cut short His eternal life promise means He's no longer God. So God has made a promise that I will be with Him forever. But God has also put some responsibility back to me. Dwayne, be strong 
and obey the word. You obey based on the promise of God because you believe God. You obey based on the presence of God because he's the one empowering you to obey it in the first place. It was three times that David also told Solomon the same words, be strong and of good courage. There's three times exactly in the New Testament we are commanded as the church to be strong. Be strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. To be strong and do His word. It's the same, this pattern throughout the Bible. This strength comes because Haggai the prophet comes to tell them to be strong and don't fear. This fear has been invoked. Well, I understand. We just step back at their circumstances. They're coming back into a place to start building a building that will ultimately be overlaid with gold. This is a high-rent high building. They have no wall around the city. They have no military to protect. And yet they're told to build the church building first or the temple building first, yet with no wall around it. It's out of order, it seems, unless... God is with you and He is the one that helps you with the building and also protects you from the enemy on the outside. Which is why they struggled in fear as they struggled to trust God would actually be their protector. Do not fear. This word fear is intriguing in the scripture because it's repeated so often. We have an emotion of fear that's built into us. And once again, just like comparison, there's healthy comparison and unhealthy. There's healthy fear and unhealthy fear. The healthy fear is the fear of the Lord. We are instructed to have a reverent fear of God because He is God. He is creator of heaven and earth. He is the Almighty. So a fear of the Lord teaches us that we, it's where knowledge begins. You don't know anything about God until you have a fear of the Lord. It teaches us wisdom and how to take the things we now know and put them into real life action at the right time. The fear of the Lord brings strong confidence because you believe and trust God in all circumstances. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life because we discern that our being comes from the Lord Himself. He is our sustenance. He is our power. He is our might. It's not on us. But then there's that unhealthy fear that's faithless and it, it removes God out of the equation that somehow God is going to completely miss it here and leave me exposed and bad things are going to happen. It's a fear that ultimately leads us into the place where we get stuck and we seemingly cannot move forward. But yet the counsel from Haggai the prophet is, be strong. This isn't a psych yourself up, be strong. It's strong based on what? I am strong based on the promise that God's made. So it's settled in my soul. It's in my heart. I'm strong based on the presence of God, knowing God is always with me regardless of circumstance. I am strong based on the word of God and God instructing me and showing me daily how to live. Which is interesting, the connection here, because Haggai says, be strong and work. You got to get your feet moving. 
Often what we struggle with when we get paralyzed in fear, and that's really what happens, it's a paralysis that takes place. We can't seem to go forward. And so the, str the strong word is this, be strong and work. When we recognize we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, we do the work because we're created by God to do it and He's the one who empowers it. We recognize then and we can be confident in this very good thing that He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's working in your life always. And we work out what He is working in. Remember, it was Jesus that finished the work that God gave him to do. And what was that when he declared that in his prayer? Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And what he had done is he had made disciples. He had multiplied his ministry with men who, when he would go on and ascend to heaven, would carry out the word. We learn in Scripture that, you know what, to learn the Bible, to be a student of the Bible, is a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's why Bible studies matter. We lay a lot of these things out in front of our church all the time of how you can interact with God, interact with other believers, to gain knowledge of the Word, gain wisdom in the Word, gain fellowship and community in the Word. Why? It makes you strong. It gets your feet moving. You minister to other people. You are ministered to. It, all these things happen whenever the, the Word is, is being propagated, whether in a small group setting or in like a setting like this. Do not fear, be strong, and work. But there's a third thing he told them. Be expectant. This temple is going to be built. You guys are doing it. And under the power of God, you're doing this. Now there's a, a phrase before I read this, I don't want you to miss this. He is referring, the Lord will refer to himself repeatedly as the Lord of hosts. Meaning the Lord of armies. He is the head, the king of all armies. So there is no battle, no victor outside of him. If they all belong to him, he's got it. So watch what this does in verse 6 and 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Once more, it's a little while. I'll shake the heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I'll shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. I'll fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now how is this possible that the glory of this temple that's being rebuilt can be better than the one before? Solomon's temple was a one in a million. There's nothing like it in the world. Yet it got destroyed. How in the world could this glory of this temple be any greater? Because it's the temple that these guys are building in this text that we are studying right now is the same temple building the Lord Jesus Christ will walk into Himself. The glory of the Lord will be appear in that temple. The Prince of Peace will be in that temple. The one who ushers peace to humanity will be in that temple. It's the veil that will be ripped in that temple, giving access that all can come to the mercy seat of God in that temple. It's an amazing story. And here's the, the beauty of this when you hear this through the fact that you and I are temples. 
the temple of the living God, His Spirit indwells us, as that sometimes, once our temple gets, maybe we got away from God, and God's allowed some things in our life, and our temple looks like it's laying in waste. And we will conclude, things will just never be the same. You're just wanting to go back and try to re rehash the past. If only I would have never, or I regret that I've done. Well, you can regret it all day, but it doesn't change it. So if we pick up from right here, and we'll stand back and look at it like they did in Haggai's day, and they'll, we'll just say, you know, man, when I consider and look at this one, in comparison to what I could have, it's just not the same. And you know what Jesus does? He comes along and says, now wait a minute. I'm going to take the glory of this temple you are right now, and the glory of that will be greater, greater than even before. Because he's going to do a miraculous work in your life, transformational work in your life, and the glory of God revealed from your life. Are you willing to allow him to do that? Or we go back in comparison world and just live in our past. We, we walk away from the strength that we have in the Lord himself. And we come with no expectation then. But today I want to encourage you to go the other direction. Only compare to the scripture and see who you are in Christ Jesus. Boy, that'll refuel you. That will bring a strength because you'll find out the promises that God made to you, the presence that God has with you, and the power that he has for, to empower you to do his word. So you don't have to try to muster up the strength to do it. He does it through you. Incredible strength. It then displaces fear because I know where I stand always with the Lord. I know who I am in Him. But not only that, I gain an expectation of how God is working in my life. And instead of being frustrated with how God's working, I thank Him for all circumstances right now that God is working through each one of these to reveal His glory to people all around me and to me so I can see God work. Jesus even said this in his prayer before he went to the cross. In John 17, 22, he said, In the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. I want to ask you to bow your head with me. If your feet seem to be stuck, here's the counsel from the great prophet Haggai. He poses a question first. How do you compare? By what are you making your comparisons? Are you defeated today, potentially, because of the way you choose to compare? I believe you'll discover if you compare with Scripture, you'll discover who you are in Christ Jesus if you're a Christian. And if you will compare, and you're not a Christian yet, you will discover how God is pursuing you and drawing you to Himself because He loves you so much, He's willing to give everything that you would be in His family, including His own Son. 
the counsel from Haggai, be strong. How? We know to be strong in the, pre- in the promises of God. Be strong in the presence of God's holy presence. To be strong and do the work that God's given us to do. Be expectant. God is working in you. He promised He would, and He is. Be expectant for God's glory to be revealed in your life. He wants to show the world through you the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us grab hold of these truths that would literally transform our lives like it did in the days of Haggai the prophet where they rose up with confidence then to build on the authority of the king. And I pray that we would do the same. That, Lord, we would rise up with our feet and that we would build the temple that you've given to us, Lord, knowing that you are the one doing the work in us. But, Lord, that we would join in this work that you're doing. That our temple be built in Christ Jesus. That our feet get moving, Lord. That we would not be paralyzed by fear and you'd liberate us from that if that's the truth today. Dear Father, I pray for anyone that is not a Christian yet that today they would place their faith in Jesus Christ the Lord who gave himself on the cross to pay their sin debt that they might know that they could have eternal life in him. Lord, thank you for raising from the grave alive after three days so that we know our Savior not only died for us, but conquered death by raising again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life for ours. Thank you for being our God, our Savior, our King, and thank you for giving your Holy Spirit to indwell us that we might know you personally and intimately. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. We pray in your name today. Amen.